Once again, guys, thanks so much for listening to our show each and every week. If you want to help uh, support the show, you can always just send us a direct message, listen to us each week, go out and rate us on your favorite podcast app, especially if it's like Apple Podcast. Go out there, leave a comment, tell us what you think about it, and go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mentors the number four mil and become a donor there or you can go out and also support our veteran-owned u.s directory so if you're looking for a veteran-owned business that you want to support go check them out at veteranownedus.com so tons of different ways to uh, to help support the the program and uh, thank you guys each and every week for listening to us This podcast is sponsored by Uncanna, Trusted Natural Solutions. Uncanna is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran-owned and operated, the Uncanna team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncanna is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code mentors the number four MIL at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. The Mentors for Military Podcast. JB, welcome back to the podcast. Um, one of the things that we thought we would dive into is back into your book. And of course, for those who haven't listened to your episode, I encourage people to go back through our uh, many episodes and find that one with JB. But we touched a little bit on your book, Warrior Leadership Steps to Success for Leaders on the Ground, JB, but we never really dived into a lot of the elements within that, although we talked a little bit around it. But there was a specific chapter, I think, that stood out and then something that you also mentioned that might be uh, really good to get into. And that was a section in there about warriors learn from warriors. And I, I love how you start off the second paragraph here by stating, I often ask clients what their definition of a warrior is. What do they believe embodies a warrior? And more importantly, can they give me an example of one? So I'm curious to know when you do ask that question, I mean, you give some examples after that, but I'm curious to know what do most people come back with? What's their response that you find that uh, seems to be at least across the board? Oh, great. Uh, it's great. Robert, thanks for having me. Nikki, nice uh, meeting you. Um, you know, uh, there's a couple of things. First off, this chapter, Warriors Learn, Warriors Learn from Warriors. So when uh, I didn't set the chapters up in this book, I wrote all the chapters. And when it went to uh, my editor, Karen Cantrell, uh, a wonderful editor, um, she put this chapter first in the book. And I said to her, I said, why is this chapter first? And she goes, it's my favorite chapter. And number one, it, you know, it, it's, it's about my mom. I had a great family. It's about my mom and, uh, you know, everything she did, uh, to, to help mold that. So, um, you know, I asked that question and, uh, to clients and when I'm doing one-on-one -on -one life coaching or whatever the case may be to athletes. And I say, you know, uh, you know, I'll even close my eyes and I'll say, paint me a picture of a warrior. Right. So, 
you know, they always come up with this and, you know, maybe it's Gerard Butler in 300 or right. special forces or something. And because there's always this, um, this thought, and yes, there are some physical capabilities to being a warrior, but everybody paints a picture like that. And I always put a picture up of a Spartan, you know, hold the spear. Oh, sure. And then, yeah. And then I'll put a picture up of mother Teresa and I'll say, what about all 85 pounds, Mother Teresa? Is she not a warrior? And everybody goes, yes. So, <laughs> you know, yes, there are physical attributes to being a warrior, but it's more than that, right? And um, uh, what I want people to understand, it, it has nothing to do with being, you know, toughness. has nothing to do with being mean, cold, callous, and insensitive. And, you know, being in the military a lot, you know, you're a young private and you saw a senior sergeant and you're like, you know, man, that guy's tough, right? Or that gal's tough. And actually they were just really jerks. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> they were jerks, but, but we kind of take that and we think that's part of it and, it, and it's not. So, um, you know, when I talk about toughness and warriors learn from warriors, uh, it, 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 it's basically that understanding that it's those inner warrior attributes that, that make you, make you a warrior. Again, there are some physical attributes. Of course, if you're in the military, if you're a professional athlete, uh, a first responder, um, you're going to have to have some physical attributes to do some of these jobs. We know that. But um, understand that it's it's how you challenge yourself. It's how you believe in yourself. It's that footprint you make for yourself um, that, that defines a warrior, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a great actual opinion because, you know, you, you talk about working hard to be the best at whatever you do. And and to me, that's what, you know, the best, some of the best advice that you can give somebody and some of the advice actually that my mother gave me. So we must have had very similar mothers in that regard. I mean, it was always one of these things that, you know, you can do whatever you want to do if you set your mind to it. You can be whoever you want to be if you set your mind to it. You know, those types of things that maybe they, you know, they were instilling in us that warrior mindset that you can accomplish a lot if you work on your inner self and the things that you know that you can't control. And I think that's part of the problem is a lot of people maybe focus on too many outside noise and don't realize that it might be just as simple as controlling some of the things that they can control and the things they can't control. Don't worry about those things you know, and, and focus on that. So I don't know if that's what you were kind of getting to, but it certainly felt that way to me when, you know, in, ter in terms of interpretation. No, that, 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 that's exactly it. Like, uh, you know, when I work with, uh, you know, young athletes, up and coming athletes, like I never talk about like statistics and a lot of, you know, coaches do they, you know, only this many will ever make it to the professional level. And, uh, and I, I don't talk about any of that because, uh, to me it's, uh, it's, it's, it's immaterial. Um, if you continue to work hard at whatever you want to do, you'll continue to climb that ladder. Um, for, for an athlete, for example, um, some of them will play their, their sport professionally, and that's a wonderful thing. But all of them will be a professional at something. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it's just like in the military, you know, whether you're in the, uh, you know, West Point graduates, uh, a lot of times when a young man or woman was graduate West Point and they were like, you know, thinking about their career and everything else. And, you know, I, I don't know if I want to stay in as long as my dad did or my uncle. I said, like, just do your first five years and see how it goes. Right. 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 I mean, like, uh, look, I, I've told you the story. Like, I thought I was going to be in for four years and that's it. Get out, go to college. 
uh, be a high school teacher, coach hockey and baseball. And then, you know, 26 years later, it worked out for me. So I think sometimes we, you know, we, we fail to, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually starting a second book now and, uh, and I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be entitled enjoy the journey. Cause I think sometimes, you know, we forget throughout our careers to enjoy the journey. I forgot it in my military career, right? right. We're always want to, we want to do this, be in this unit, go to this school. <laughs> you know? yep. and, then, and then we take a step back and said, you know what? We have to enjoy those experiences that, um, that we've come across the lives that we've touched, the people that we've met. And, uh, I think that's, that's also important when you're building your warrior base, right? You're building your warrior base. It's like, okay, let me just keep climbing, keep climbing. Right. But, but along the way, um, there are special moments that you have to enjoy. I, I think some people end up shutting down and, you know, like for me, uh, throughout my military career, there were people that I had as friends, but they weren't always people in uniform. So you end up shutting down and, and not really, you know, embracing the moment while you're going through it. And maybe it's because we don't want to have those types of friendships that we can, you know, are concerned about that maybe that friend or that person next to us may not be here tomorrow. And that that's not something we want to dwell on. It's not something we want to focus on. So what we tend to do is not live in that moment so much. We're just going through the motions, taking on additional challenges, whatever they may be. And, and I agree with you. I think after you get out, I can't tell you how many times I've sat around and go, man, I wonder what happened to such and such. Or I, you know, my kids even say, well, have you tried looking them up? Well, you know, how many John Smiths there are in the phone book or, you know, on social media or whatever. I mean, the odds are pretty slim that they're going to, you know, I'm going to find that individual, but that's, that's kind of what we end up doing. Maybe we end up shutting those individuals down in our career and everything else while we're in because we're just kind of going through um, those those periods of life. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about slow down to smell the roses, that's something I experienced much later in life. It mm-hmm. wasn't until later on before I started pumping the brakes and go, you know what? This this train is really moving fast now, mm-hmm. you know? Kind of a military, you know, that's what they breed into you, is that yeah. you're always looking for, you're always looking for that next duty station or the next school or what are your goals and, mm-hmm. you know, thinking ahead constantly that you you don't really think of that the moment that you're in until you know we are older and it's like well it's like you said rob i mean time's going really fast maybe i should <laughs> look back a little or slow down or uh-huh. you know nikki if you would if you could speak to yourself you know 15 years ago or something i said hey nikki you need to slow down and smell the roses you'd be like yeah whatever yeah yeah i'm, I'm living a life i'm having a good time now well, I mean, my personality is, <laughs> I'm still having a difficult time. Trying to around. I retired last year, and I'm more busy than I've ever been before in my life. So uh-huh. um, I think I'm just now in that, that mental mind frame to, like, what is the rush? What are we rushing towards? Why are we uh-huh. constantly feeling like we have to get to another point? You know, just uh-huh. enjoy the moment that you're you're in right now currently. So I'm... I'm slowly, I think, right now learning that, but, you know, I'm well mm-hmm. into my 40s, <laughs> so I wish I would have had that mentality mm-hmm. years ago, but, yeah. yeah. That, 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 that's uh, wonderful advice. Um, you know, I have three grown children, and my oldest daughter, who, you know, helps me with uh, my business, too, like, uh, just last week, we were FaceTiming, she was like, Dad, you are doing great, like, salute your wins you i'm so proud of you and like because again we're like and and like we forget that so yeah you know there's the sage advice from my daughter right right right, right. like 
You are doing good. And I think sometimes like, you know, we, we, we continue to fail to do that. We continue to fail to realize um, this. Uh, a few months ago, I was having a, a malted beverage with a, a former West Point graduate. And uh, he was telling me a story. And he's like, do you remember when you went to bat for me in this meeting? And I was like, no, I don't. And he told me specifically what I said in the meeting, like in front of the colonel. They, you know, they wanted the kid got in some trouble. They wanted to get rid of him. And and like I was the only one that stood up and said, if you get rid of this young man, you're all idiots. I don't even remember saying that. But he <laughs> he does. He, rem- yeah. he remembered it because it was a defining moment in his life. Yeah. And and I'm like. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, wow. And he goes, and everybody looked at you, looked at me like I was crazy. But, but he's like, he's like, you know, that taught me that, you know, you stood up for me. And then, you know, when I was a lieutenant, now I had to stand up and I had to do it. And so, again, these are all these tasks. We talk about warriors learning from warriors. These are all these things that, like, you know, sometimes we don't, um, um, uh, you know, we don't, we don't we don't state our accomplishments, right? Because again, we're in the, we're in the military, it's selfless service, you know, right. right. Uh, I, I got enough of medals. I don't want to change anything. Yeah. Right? That's going to cost me money right, to get another award. <laughs> so, <laughs> Some I, people I, don't have that problem, JB, but yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. But, but you know, like, you're like, you know, they want to give you another award. You're like, now I got to send that back in and get my ribbons <laughs> on. I don't, like enough of that. Yeah, yeah. But and so you know, these are all things that you, you know when you when you grow up in an organization um, that you know one you volunteer for, right? Yeah. Two, you know you're not going to make a lot of money. Uh, three, you know your experiences are going to be you. You're not going to be able to thoughtfully predict your experiences because they're going to be all different. Right. Like, and so, (laughs) um, these are things that like we should, we should remember and we should take the time to say, well done. Well, maybe we should back up because maybe the question is what is a warrior? You know, that's been, you know, when it first came out, that was, uh, several years ago that it was started. I say first came out, it started getting overused. It started coming out there as more of a buzzword type of thing. I think people em- embrace it or took it very differently, depending upon where they were. You know, like um, some felt like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a warrior. And they saw themselves as a, as a Spartan. Some people said, no, 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 these these people are more the warriors. You know, they may be pointing over in some other direction. So when, when you're referring to a warrior, you're you're looking at a person that each of us in some ways – have warrior inside of us it's Mm -hmm. kind of finding our inner warriors what you're talking about it doesn't matter your mos it doesn't matter your job in the civilian world it doesn't matter anything about that but each of us have that inner warrior in us is what you're referring to and when you become a leader you have the opportunity to teach other warriors as subordinates exactly you know i um uh Karen Cantrell actually helped me with this title. I really didn't have a title for this. And she came up with warrior leadership. That's the success for leaders on the ground. And I, and I said to her, I said, Karen, it, it, you know, because you read my book, there's no, I don't talk about any gunfights. Nope. It's, it's not that if you're, if you're looking for that, then, you know, there's plenty of other books out there. There's none of that in my book. And she says, no, but you found the part that appeals to people that want to learn 
this inner self, this inner strength. And you're exactly right. You know, it gets down to, you know, your, you know, your values, you know, do, doing the right thing, holding yourself accountable, helping others out. Um, and, and making that foundation for yourself to say, you know, this is, this is what, this is what I can do. And the other thing that I, I think people don't do is a lot of times, you know, when we're doing something like, you, you know, and you're in the army, you know, you're trying to max the PT test to like, you know, uh, you know, prove it to your sergeant or prove it to your commander, right? Just prove it to yourself, <laughs> right? So that's sometimes like, okay, I, I did it. I, 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 you know, I proved it to myself. Like I can, I can, I can do these things and uh, think about all the experiences now people have done during this COVID, right? Like, uh, whether it's, you know, cooking their, making their first apple pie or doing their first zoom workout. There's so many different experiences now that people, um, have, have had in the military. We're used to it. Why? Because we get dropped in some base somewhere in some foreign land and, and we have to figure it out. <laughs> we have to like, okay, how am I going to not only safety and security, but how's the camp going to run and how are we going to, uh, you know, live life and enjoy life. So that that's to me great. Great, great question, Robert. I think warrior, you know, when is it's a mindset, right? So, like you're saying, it doesn't have anything to do with your your physical attitudes. Um, it's all about anyone can be a warrior. Um, yeah. It's about how you conduct yourself, your your mental fortitude, and I think one of the biggest character traits is being humble. You know, first and foremost. So yeah, when I think of that word warrior, those are the things that you know I think of and. Again, having the mental fortitude to, to keep moving forward even when things are tough, um, yeah. you know, running into the fire, so to speak, um, even when you don't, you know, know what's in that fire, you <laughs> how know, you're going to handle the fire. So. What I take from that too, though, Nikki, is um, when you get on the outside, and you may have experienced this as well in the private sector, they're looking for you to acknowledge your accomplishments, whether you did as a team member or as an individual, because they want to be able to see that representation of what, what you're going to be like and what value you're going to add to that organization. And, you know, cause they're going to kind of size you up that way, but yet, you know, you're, you're taught to be humble. So you step back and you go, okay, I, I don't want to acknowledge that I was a part of a team because we were a team, you know, we, the team accomplished this. Yeah. But you were part of it. That, that actually says, you know, speaks very high of you as well, that you were part of a team that accomplished X you know, so go ahead and, and state that it's okay to do that. It's when you boast about it, I think in different ways. And it's always, you're always referring yourself in the I or the me that's where it starts getting a little bit more difficult. I think it's one of the things military people struggle with the most when they get out is, is selling yourself in, in circumstances, because mm. <clears throat> as you said, Robert, when, when we're in the military, we're always told we, we've got a saying in the UK, uh, if in the military, that, People try to be the grey man and never stand out and always be that, you know, that 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 person who blends in with everything in in the situations. And when you when you leave service and you go for your first job interview and writing your CV and things, you literally have to sell yourself up against whoever you're up against. And I think military people really struggle with that concept. And I, I see it in business every day now with um, veteran-owned businesses and. 
whenever I'm encouraging people to go for awards and, you know, I, I don't really want to do that. Why, why would I put myself or my business forward for an award? Mm-hmm. You know, and really, it, as, as somebody who's in business, one of your jobs, one of the hats you wear is the marketing director. And it's your job to sell your business above everybody else's business to make that sale. And mm-hmm. people really struggle with having that confidence and um stepping away from the humility and and modesty and really selling yourselves and and pushing out um you know whatever it might be your your good points or whatever for me when i was in the military one of the hardest things i ever had to do was write my own sit (laughs) rep i just you know a lot of the times it would just be blank and then you know my my uh, superior officers would be like you know but you did this this and this like oh yeah yeah i did you know so then it's like write that down but it, it is it's it's very difficult to, to talk about yourself or, you know, to, to try to sell yourself. And I was actually part of a conference call with JC Glick has that, um, the organization MVP. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that they are, they're trying to teach a lot of us is that you got to be able to talk about yourself. And it doesn't mean that you're, you know, doing the whole like self-centered or narcissistic mm-hmm. thing, you know, being able to talk to yourself in a way where you can um, show what you, you know, how you are valuable to, Mm-hmm. Or a team, or whatever it is that you're trying to do in that transition phase. So, mm-hmm. I mean, great points because I mean, you know, if you go back to what most people think of as the warrior, JB, it's the Spartan, it's the person out front, mm-hmm. you know, rah rah, and all this. But that's mm-hmm. that may not be the case. Well, yeah, and that's great. And Brian made some great points, and you, you know, you never, you too as well, Nikki. Like, um, and I'm glad JC, who's super smart at that that stuff, which is. Um, when you're, because, you know, the military, we try to make this humble warrior, right? The silent professional, right? And that's what we try to mold to make the right. That's why we don't, um, you know, that's why we, we try not to do those things. Um, you know, not, not, not getting after the seals here, but you know, like some of the remarks were, oh, be a Navy seal, write a book. Right. Like, and, and, and they took some heat for that. Right. Because it was like, oh, I'm a seal, write a book. Okay. And, um, you know, I actually got chosen to be a speaker at, at, at a conference and, and there was a, a, a former SEAL, very well known, who was him and I were the, the finalists. And I said, listen, if you want that, he's the guy. I'm not going to talk about that. He, you know, he, he's going to talk about he, he's going to take business and make it a firefight. That's great. That's not my agenda. If you want this, that's me. But if you want if you want me to do that, I'm not going to do it. So I think the other thing is, is when you're a business is stay true to who you are, right? Like, uh, so, so stay true to who you are. You'll get some gigs because of it. You won't get some gigs because of it. And that's kind of the thing. Um, what's so interesting though, is that JB, you, you actually, I mean, you have as much accolades as that guy, if not more so. And and yet, see, now you're stepping back and going, Hey man, you know, this is what I'm about because I guess like you said, your inner self, you really defined yourself very differently. And that's how yeah. you, you're coming out outwardly. Yeah. And I just think that, you, you know, I retired in 2010. I hung up my guns. I never went back to them. <laughs> right? Like um, a professional athlete just called me the other day. goes, JB, can you take me shooting? I'm like, no, but I'll send you to a guy that can. <laughs> and, I, and, and I called my buddy in North Carolina, retired Delta Force guy. I'm like, go see him. 
he'll take care of you, right? Yeah. And I, and I think that's, I mean, that's a part of it when you define yourself in business too and you're, you know, you're trying to get out there. Um, so I think it was about 2013 I did that uh, TV show, Ultimate Soldier Challenge, and there was two Rangers, two Brits, and two contractors. And I remember, so we went there and, you know, we met all the directors and everything, and, um, and there was some language that was in the contract that I wasn't like very comfortable with. Like, you know, if we got hurt, something else and everything else. And, and, uh, uh, the Brit Mikey K, uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel RAF, like he spoke up for all of us and he spoke up and like, he, he put this director, like he was like, this is what we're getting paid. This is the risk level we're taking. This is, and I was like, like, you know, he's talking to this Hollywood director, like, Hey, this is how it's going to be. And he goes, and that's for all of us. And I was like, thank you. But I was thinking it, but I like didn't know how to speak up because you're sitting across the table from this like Hollywood director and the producer and they're like, dun, dun, dun. and I was like, wow. And I never forgot that. Mikey Case stood up for himself, but stood up for all of us. And I was like, uh-huh, this guy gets it. Like this is. And again, I was only out of the, I was only out of the army, just retired from the army just a few years. So I still kind of like figured it out a little bit, right? Like what you're worth, your value. And that's all the things that, um, that, that, that you're bringing up. So Scott, you were already kind of smiling when he mentioned Royal Air Force. So yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. I'm Googling. Uh, I wanted uh, to put uh, you on the spot. Are, are you Googling the episode to see who won? Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Google the episode. <laughs> yeah. The thing in the UK about the, um, the, the RAF regiment being the, um, the, the third wing of the special forces, um, uh, the, sorry, the fourth arm of the special forces with um, special air service, special boat service, um, the Royal Marines Royal parachute Marines. regiment, depending on yep. which... Which whether you're um, yep. navy or um, army, and then the RAF regiment. So the, it, the, they're kind of the butt of the joke of, of everybody because they, they you know they play a vital role in guarding air um, air bases, air, air, um, airports, and things. And it's 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 a long-standing joke. And I was that's that's why I was laughing when you said he was <laughs> the Royal Air Force. I was wondering whether. Rough regiment, but th- those guys got some really good soldiers, you know. And it's sure. it's every, everybody that's part of military life, isn't it? And, and that banter and how you how you put everybody down as a sign of affection almost, and um, everybody gets a, a good ribbon, and that's how you're accepted within a group. And uh, the, the the RAF regiment is they kind of try to be accepted between the army um, and the marines and. They, they don't quite fit into either because they, they're part of the Air Force. But, um, you know, they, they've, they've got some good soldiers. They do a lot of good work. So they, they get an unfair ribbon sometimes. Okay, you're backpedaling now. I can see it. You're trying to do yeah. the whole political correctness here on the back yeah. end. It's not working, man. I can see your face. <laughs> no, this, yeah, this guy, was a, this guy was a helicopter pilot too. So I think he uh, he got shot at quite a bit. So he was putting, you know, he, he was putting uh, – pipe swingers uh all all over the country there in afghanistan and iraq oh we're just picking on him just because you know i saw scott's face and stuff but yeah no doubt no doubt uh 
You know, in terms of, you know, the warrior spirit, the warrior mindset, and in trying to mentor and coach other individuals that, um, you know, either support you or you just want to do that within um, your command or something of that nature. I think one of the challenges we have out there right now, JB, is that there's just not enough funding to go around for different things. And we're losing opportunities in terms of training and education to be able to grow and mentor these people in the right way. A hundred percent. You know, I uh, I was fortunate to be, you know, cadre at the United States Military Academy at West Point. And, you know, when I showed up, uh, you know, General Abizade, you know, retired four star now, obviously, but he was the commandant. Like he told all the NCOs, he's like, listen, you got go to school. <laughs> like we have classes on this base. He's like, go to go to school, get your education. Like he was like he knew that, like, you know, we were out there in the line for all these years, whatever it was, 10, 12, 13, 15, 16 years. And, you know, it didn't matter if you're, what your MOS was, you were all MOSs there, like go, go to school, get the education. And, um, that's so important. We need to continue to, you know, uh, train and educate, train and educate, train and educate. Um, a good friend, a good friend of my business owner the other day asked me, he just asked me the other day, he said, you know, what's the difference between, you know, the military and law enforcement right now? Because of course, you know, law enforcement's, you know, taken, taken, uh, you know, some big heat and, and, and some, as they should in some instances, obviously. But I said, you know, in the military, like we invest that time and training and money into getting that young man or woman prepared. Doesn't mean we always make the right decisions, but we're consistently trying to do that. And, um, you know, uh, I know there's this like sweeping change to, you know, maybe, you know, lower the police force budgets. This is when they should increase the police force budgets and get these young men and women the proper training, right? You know, uh, educate, uh, recruit, <laughs> right? Go recruit, like, fine. Think of the military. Think how many military recruiters there are of all branches yeah and in every single town right and it's like they're i mean they're they're out there you know <laughs> they're out there talking to kids at when they're 15 16 17 right they're like laying the groundwork uh, it, that that's what you have to do if you want to you know grow your civil service better in my opinion well, and, you know, when you look back in history in terms of um, the time period when we were coming out of the Vietnam War and going into the all-volunteer military, you started seeing that the education movement at that time frame was coming online a lot more. People were going to college instead of going into the military or at least delaying their military service. It was something that they wanted to do until they fi uh, finished their education. So you started seeing people that were either coming into the military with bachelor's degrees or master's degrees for that matter, and maybe even some higher and or people who were in the service who started going on and getting their education um, whether it was from a tech school or from a university as well while in active duty by using their GI Bill or tuition assistance. And I think that when you do that and you educate the force or you educate individuals, they're just more world they're more worldly, more well-rounded and everything. And um, I think it goes a long way, especially within the military. Uh, and, and it has been proven that the Education has been allowed our force to embrace technology much faster 
and um, you know a, a lot of the mission sets and things that we do because again of that education growth. I don't ever want to see that stop. I, I've seen such positive things that come out of that over the last 20 and 30 years that the last thing I'd want to do is to see that if the budget start getting cut and everything else uh, that we don't start you know cutting education as part of that or training as part of that. Those are things that are just to me are so critical. Um, I, I actually uh, wrote a paper years ago when they were starting to talk about, um, you, you know, they were trying to, you know, just like, a, you know, an officer, a captain, uh, you know, he, they, you know, they send the captain off to get their master's degree, right, for two years. And then the captain owes, you know, six more years in the military or something right. like that. Um, and I was saying, you know, when a, when a man or a woman um, hit, hit, hit E7, they should do the same thing. Like send that, send that sergeant away for two years, whatever school that person can get into, you know, let them wear civilian clothes, whatever it is, still get their pay. But now they're in a different environment where they're learning, they're around different people. And, you know, so many of the officers that come back that, uh, you know, uh, go to their, go to their, uh, you know, go to their master's program, they come back and they spent two years at UCLA and they're like, wow, I just like learned so much about humans. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like I've learned so much about humans. And and um, I think that if we, you know, it doesn't have to be a two year program, it can be a six month program. Right. You can you can do that. You can find a six month you know, degree completion program. But that's what we should just continue to do and continue to 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 educate and inspire. And and when we do that, then, you know, the whole concept comes back together. Right. Yeah. So. Well, and I think it makes the transition or the understanding between, you know, those people on the private sector and civilians and stuff and those in the military that it's not an us and them type of mentality as well, right? Because they've had more interaction with people from the military. I'm sure a lot of that's happening, or at least I would hope it is happening today anyway, just based on people getting out of the service and using their GI Bill and going back to college. Um, I'm hoping there's a little bit of bleed over that's happening there. But did you have a very similar experience in, in your career, Nikki? Were you able to go and do that within the nursing program? So, I mean, I started out enlisted. So I was enlisted for 10 years, and I applied to an officer program that sent me to school, like you were saying. Great. Uh, I, I was still active duty, but my only job was to go to school and finish my nursing degree. So essentially, I right. felt like a civilian for those two and a half years. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, my stance is, is I think education, you know, civilian education, it's important. But I also think the training um, within your job, you know, so if you want to take the military, for instance, or if you want to take the police force, that training and education pertaining to your job is, is first and foremost most important. Yeah. And I see a lot of times, like with the military, they keep pushing civilian education. You're not promotable unless you have degrees and whatever else. I think that's kind of bullshit. Because for me, and you know, when you do your fit reps, right? So you stand out, quote unquote, if you have civilian education behind you. But a lot of times these people don't know their own jobs and they're not good at their jobs and they're not provided the training. You know, my stance on my platform in the military was we are not training our people appropriately for like the, the conventional military, which I was part of. I think the soft units are successful because they're constantly training for their missions, regardless if you know they're they're overseas or they're they're back home in garrison, they're constantly in that 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 training mode. You know, they're always preparing and and training, which also plays into your mental health as well. I think mm -hmm. if you are the more prepared you are, the more trained you are for your job, 
the better it is all around for for you, for whoever, you know, like the police, whoever they're serving. And then it's better for your mental health too. You know, with us being medical, we were we weren't we weren't afforded that type of training opportunities for that overseas environment. A lot of times we're working in these hospitals and it's really no different than a civilian hospital. And then we're getting plucked out of this environment, thrown into a combat environment and we're not ready or prepared or trained for it, you know, which plays again back into that mental health. You know, if I, if I felt like I did something that may have harmed another person or I could have done better to save that person, I'm going to think about that for a long time, you know, and it's going to play into that. So the training and education first and foremost, I think should be, you know, brought to whatever job or what what you're doing within whatever organization you're in and a lot of times you find you know just like they want to cut that funding for for these forces you know first thing that's going to go is going to be training yeah yeah and that preparation so it's terrible and and it's the fight that we've been doing in the conventional side of the military is to get more training and to be more prepared and you know for that time when you can make good judgment calls and, and, you know, hopefully do the right thing. You're not put in that position where, you know, we're seeing today. Yeah. Professional development is definitely important. And I, I look at professional development being like three aspects. You have the, the side of it where your non-commissioned officers or officers are actually mentoring and coaching their subordinates. You have official civilian training through universities or trades and uh, trade schools. And then you have the military occupational pipeline as well that's on uh, on par with that. So, you know, in the military, I think they do a fairly good job, or at least they used to, of defining that for each uh, MOS as well as each rank and where you should be with your peers. Um, and in the private sector yet, they don't do that. It's not clearly defined. You don't know who your peer group is. You don't know necessarily um, you know, what you should be taking or doing and those types of things. Um, but if they start eliminating any one of those tracks, I feel within the military today, we're going to start seeing a decrease in um, technology advancements, uh, you know, the ability to think on the fly, you know, whatever the case may be, because like you said, Nikki, it could be someone's life that's lost in that situation if they don't have that type of proper uh, training. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I think if you look at, um, you know, Robert and Nikki too, like if you look at, you know, pre nine 11 till now, like look at how everything has changed. Like, uh, you, you know, um, I mean, the, the, you know, the Ranger Regiment is the Ranger Regiment, which was a, a outstanding regiment. We talked about the soft forces. You know, now it's like a it's like Delta. Like yeah. it has so many it has so many different. Aspects it's huge to it. Too, yeah, it's huge, huge. And as you know, it has, you know, their uh, you know, their medics are probably the best in the military of course you know they got they got dog handlers now they got um you know electronic warfare all this whole thing but the basic training has gotten better just with like just with shooting let's use shooting for example right like uh, marksmanship that marksmanship skills and so they've at least now you know when you change the top at least it kind of filters down to the you know regular regular aspects of you know uh, let's make everybody a combat lifesaver, right? Let's let's make let's take somebody in every squad and make them an EMT. Let's you know so let's try to 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 move the force. If you look at you know you go back to initially and you know uh, you know 2001 2002 till now, I mean 
uh, you know, it's it's definitely gone up. It, it it's, it's cost billions and billions of dollars to do that, but it has kept pace with the uh, with you know with the threat level, I believe. Yeah. So Scott, I'm curious, you know, over there in the UK, because um, I know it's much different over there. And, you know, you're listening to all this and what we're saying about those three tracks, and it, it's not quite the same over there in, in the UK. It's it's similar. I think I think where it falls over in the UK is is the non um, military training. So for example, I was a royal engineer and my trade was an electrical engineer. Now I went through two different um, qualifications, um, a standard electrical engineer course and then an advanced electrical engineer course. And both of those were civilian qualifications run through a military college that had civilian um, approval, if you like. It was a standard um, city and guilds. Uh, a standard civilian qualification that was taught at the military school. So because once you qualify, you don't do as much electrical work as a standard person in a civilian college would then go and become an electrician uh, and work at that job day in, day out. What they basically did was change the pass level for the exams. So whereas to past the course in a standard college you had to score 40 percent or above uh, to gain the qualification in the military college you had to score 80 percent or above mm. so they made you better academically at passing that qualification and you had to work a lot harder but then when i left so i did my first course in 1998 and then my second course in 2000 I didn't do any electrical work other than that in, in my entire eight years. So when I left the military, on paper, look at this guy. He's a, he's a really qualified electrical engineer. On actually picking up a set of tools and going and doing the job, very poor. Yeah. <laughs> in the number of times I've been electrocuted doing, doing yeah. work in my own house. I love it. Yeah, but that's that's where they don't follow through, you know. And what you were saying, JB, they could take guys and send them out and do civilian placements. Go and have six months working as an electrician on a site, you know, on a, on a construction site and just putting in first fixes, second fixes every day for six months. Mm -hmm. You'd come back at such a stronger level as a, an electrical engineer. But then employ those people to do those roles so right. my role was eod then so all my training when in military time if you like was doing an eod role but yet we were sat on on camp for you know 18 months out of a two-year rotation mm -hmm. and whilst we were training we could have been doing electrical jobs for example mm -hmm. around that camp and just keeping our skills current. And, you know, Nikki, in, in the medical field, it's critical that your skills are current, up-to-date, and on, on the ball. But those those other qualifications in the military, they kind of, they, they train you. They spend all that time in training. I spent nearly two years doing both those courses. You spend all that time in them schools doing that training, and then they just let it fall by the wayside, which I find is a little bit frustrating, you know, when people want to get out there and use those skills. And that was the main reason I joined the, the engineers. You know, it, it, people said to me, go and get a trade, so when you come out, you can use that trade. 
not once have I ever used it. Yeah. Well, it, is it translatable to though, Scott? Because I mean, it's, I, it's completely. It's a civilian oh, qualification. It? Yeah. So when I when I left the military, um, I joined um, what was Cora Steel and turned into Tata Steel, um, and I I wanted to be an electrician um, within um, the company there. And whilst I had the qualification papers, I didn't have indenture papers. So when you do an apprenticeship and you do a four-year apprenticeship, you're a time-served electrician. So I had the academical qualifications that um, higher than what apprentices come out with, but I didn't have that time-served uh, indentures to say that you've completed four years of on-the-job training at the same time gaining a qualification – but more importantly, gaining that experience. So mm. it's, it's you know, it's like going for a job and saying, uh, I, I'm a stockbroker. Well, you know, what's your portfolio look like and how much profit have you made for a client? Well, I've never actually had a client. Mm. You, you're never going to get that job. So experience in the civilian world is, is often much more important than qualifications. And that's why I think these days what you said, Nikki, about the military holding people to you can't get promoted unless you've got a degree and in civilian street as well a lot of people are still looking for to get this job you must have a degree in an engineering um, discipline or whatever it might be and i think that mindset is outdated and it's slowly starting to come around with the more forward thinking companies like amazon google microsoft mm -hmm. they they say well we don't care if you've got a degree or not what, what what's your competency yeah what, what's your, show me some demonstrable evidence where you've you've put this these leadership principles into action tell us about a time you've done that and they might they might do a numerical reasoning test or whatever just to make sure that academically you can you can your brain functions in the right way that they want but having that degree in that piece of paper doesn't i've got five gcses I haven't got a, I don't know what you guys call them in, you know, when you leave high school, I've got five exams and, you know, I, I'm a senior manager in a manufacturing company and done very well for myself in the civilian sector. The highest level of qualification I got, I, I did an occupational health diploma when I worked for Tata and created my own job and, and I worked for the doctor there, uh, running the first aid training for them through my military um, first aid qualifications, medical qualifications. But I, I don't have a degree or anything like that, and I've I've excelled in, in my civilian career and, and jumped over the heads of people who've got degrees because experience is more important, I think, and that's what people undervalue in the military. The amount of experience you cram in to your time frame is phenomenal. I did eight years, and when, when I left and got a civilian job, I had more ex life experience than 45, 50, 55 year olds, you know, who've been doing the same jobs. You just cram it in in the military. It's such a great experience to to be able to to cram in all those, that variety of experience. I think we're missing out a lot on what you're saying, Pat, with the experience part of it. And that's why, you know, um, if you know or if you followed what I've been doing last month, I was in New York. Uh, volunteering to help with the COVID crisis. And what I, what really turned me on to the field hospital that we were volunteering at was, um, or volunteering to work for is, it was called the Ryan Larkin Field Hospital, which was named after um, the Navy SEAL who had passed away. But what they did and what New York Presbyterian agreed to was having our special forces medics or the ones who have gotten out 
come in without all the certs that are normally required because we were working under a disaster medicine protocol. Um, so they allowed them to come in with the experience that they have and not necessarily, you know, what they don't have for the civilian sector for licenses, et cetera. Um, and they were able to come in and work and they worked as nurses. So we put them, you know, I was kind of overseeing these, this group of uh, soft medics working as RNs, you know, making sure that I was, they were transitioning to that, that, that type of environment. But, you know, within two, three days, they were, I worked myself out of a job. I mean, they were doing phenomenal and it just showed that when I checked them in at first, it would be like, oh, I have an EMTB license, which is, you know, as you know, the, the civilian sector doesn't really, you can't do a whole lot with that, right? But then I would ask, okay, well, what military schools have you been to? What were you qualified for? And it was like, boom, 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 you know, tons of schools and schools, they were almost as qualified as some of the PAs and the NPs and doctors. <laughs> so, wow. You know, that's wow. what we took into consideration. And that's who we put as the team leads or, you know, as the, we call them the, the soft RNs, the Special Operation Force RN, and they they were phenomenal, and and it proved that they were able to take the experience that they had and translate that into the civilian sector, and you know that's one of the things we need to get better at is is having those certs that show what they can actually do and translating that into the the civilian side of the house um, for when these guys transition. So. Well, they have these, you know, massive books and everything that are supposed to help with that and doing that translation. But somewhere, obviously, they're missing the boat or they need to update it, right? Because I think, you, like you said, you proved it. But will the state of New York now allow for that to occur? And are they willing to then certify these individuals as RNs within the state and give them a license? Probably not, you know, so. No, but we are, we are doing, um, we are working with a group who is trying to, make this an actual thing, a uh, long-term thing. So we're hoping Wonderful. to show using that model that it is possible and, and you know, it's something that's been in the works and, and we'll see what comes of that. But, Great. you know, more of that needs to happen where, again, we do such a disservice to our guys and for me, our, our corpsmen who are phenomenal and can are very versatile and can be put in any type of situation and have a lot of skill set and they get out and they, they can't do anything. They can't even take vital signs because they don't have a, a certification or something that shows what they can do. So um, that's one of the things that we, we definitely need to get better on. And well, everybody, everybody's afraid of getting sued. So that's why they do it. You know, that's yeah. why they have these, but when there's a disaster like this, you know, a pandemic, I, all of a sudden people are like, Whoa, I need some help. And guess what? Qualified people show up. You know, I saw this in, in the reverse in 2008. Um, because uh, Task Force Phoenix 7 was um, heavy Army National Guard. So all of a sudden you're in there and like, you need something well, you know, I don't know how to weld, you know, <laughs> most infantry guys don't know how to weld. Some guys like, oh, I was a welder. What you were? I mean, like some, some corporal, like we rewired the entire lighting in the barracks. He was an electrician, <laughs> but he's also in the National Guard. Um, you know, you had people that had medical experience. Um, actually a guy on my team, um, what was an attorney <laughs> and when like people are doing like their wills and stuff like that he's like oh let me check let me do that for you like <laughs> it, it, it so you saw it in the opposite way right, right? You saw right. these people were like i'm like wow like that's that's an amazing experience so i think anytime that like you continue to um you know share these experiences uh when you're you know uh 
when you're in this type of situations, um, this is what this is what brings unity together, right? Like, uh, uh, Nikki, you probably saw so much good happening, right? Like, you probably just, uh, you know, probably novels of just like people are people are like, you know, you know, showing up. Um, I was at uh, I was at nine eleven uh, that evening with um, uh, a full bird colonel, a sergeant major, a couple other people. Like we were putting this operation center together. And then by the next morning, you know, there were literally, um, you know, volunteers, thousands and thousands and thousands of volunteers there. What do you need help with? Right. Like, and I think sometimes, you know, when these things happen in, in, in our, in our country, right. People come together, right. They, they try to put everything aside and say, listen, you know what? I got some skills might not be very good, but at least I can help you. Yeah. You, you see it a lot in uh, hurricanes, tornadoes. Yeah. 100%. You know, that was one of the, I guess, beautiful things that came out of 9-11. Not that, you know, obviously it was a very tragic yeah. event. But that next day and, like, for months after, I just remember, you know, the American flag was everywhere. Everyone came together. I mean, we it was one of those moments that, you know, in my history that I felt we were truly united as people. And it didn't matter about skin color it didn't matter about where you came from or you know who you were we all came together and you know like you were saying is how can i help what can i do you know and it was just we were truly unified and i missed that i mean i that was it was just great to drive down the freeway and you saw you know our flag flying and um we were just all i don't know just one and it how I think it should be. But. Well, I'll get back to the the warrior mindset. I mean, it's all back into a little bit of, you know, self-reflection and what is it that you can do as part of the warrior mindset as well, I think, JB, because, I mean, you're supposed to inspire, be passionate, be a teacher, a coach, a mentor. You're not going to uh-huh. do those things unless you're somebody that's willing to give of yourself. Uh-huh. That's it. That's it. Exactly. And I know sometimes like, and, 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 you know, um, all of, you know, like if you're, if you served in any type of unit, sometimes, um, uh, uh, leaders are, are slow to give kudos, right? Cause we just should think that, oh, they should just know they're doing a good job. Like, right? uh, you know, I read something from my friend, a former Delta force guy, and he was like, you know, that it just wasn't an organization that gave a lot of kudos, right? Cause no one should have to tell you, Hey, good job. But I say, you should tell people they're doing a good job, right? Like it doesn't have to be for every little thing like, oh, you shaved today or something like that. But when people are doing when 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 people are doing a um, a, a a good job, you should you should remind them that they're doing a good job. And that's part of um, knowing when to give kudos, because if you don't give kudos as a leader or a coach, that passion of that person is going to wane. Right now, it doesn't have to be all puppies and rainbows. I'm not talking about the eighth place trophy, right? I'm not talking about that stuff, but I'm talking about understanding who people are and, and hey, hey, good job today. Hey, I I appreciate what you did. I appreciate you. And uh, and, and and leaders sometimes we get this like gruff about us, you know. Oh, I don't, if I tell that person, what you show them that you're a human, human, right? <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? So, I mean, that's all part of it, you know, teaching, coaching, uh, mentoring. Uh, and the other thing when warriors mentor, like when, when you mentor, like don't require that person to be you. Right. So, so when you, so when you mentor, leave a little bit out, 
Like, leave 20% out. Let that person decide who they're going to be, right? All of us are different. Scott, Nikki, Robert, we're all different, right? So when you're mentoring somebody, it doesn't have to be a carbon copy of you. Yeah. Um, You know, leadership, to me, leadership 101 is, is knowing your people and knowing their potential and where they fit in, right? So, yeah, it's not necessarily you or your attributes is what they have to bring to the table and recognizing that. And then as you're saying, giving them praise when, you know, it's, it's warranted and that, you know, to me, that's a sign of a, a good leader is being able to, to know and recognize your people when taking the time to get to know your people mm-hmm. and, and know, you know, within a team or an organization, where is this person best fit just from, you know, getting to know them and knowing who they are. Um, and, you know, pulling it out of them as well and pulling out the confidence because you have a lot of people who have a lot of potential, but they stay, you know, on the sidelines because they maybe don't have enough confidence in themselves. And that's, again, where that praise comes in, right? Recognizing that they have that potential, bringing them out, putting them in the right position, and then showing them that they they are good in that position. So. Mm-hmm. That's, exa- that's exactly it. My uh, son tells a story when he was uh, – you know, graduated college, played college hockey, and he was a graduate assistant back at his prep school. And the the coach was running practice, and he kind of was an assistant. And then, yeah, about halfway through the season, he said, "It's your practice today. Run it." And he was like, "Whoa!" And all of a sudden, now he's you know he he's he's running this this prep school practice. But sometimes you have to you know you have to push him out of the nest a bit. You have to challenge him. You have to give him the tools. You can't uh, you know you can't put him on the spot for it, obviously, but. It's 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 all that like you know training and and guidance and caring and uh, you know what I want people to look I'm a professional leadership coach now this is all I do I want people to understand that like you learn this over time right it's not just one book or or or, or one thing you're doing like people are like wow you really got this down yeah it's taken me like thirty years to get here right? so like you can't teach experience right you can't you, you know what. It's 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 exactly right. Like you can you could climb that ladder a little faster with training, right? Training, education, learning. You could climb that ladder faster, but there are just experienced things. I I mean, I look back to you know the mistakes I made as an E five, E six, E seven, E eight, E nine. I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, and you just look back to that and go, hmm. All right. Well, I should probably could have done a little better there. So it's all part of that. And, 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 and look, and we have to understand that too. And, you know, and if, and if you make a mistake, own up to it quickly and let's let, you know, let's, let, let's go forward. Right. 